Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. What can you expect tomorrow? We think we know. Yesterday, a lot of us had plans. Drive the kids off at school, clock in at work, eat out at supper. But then in these last few weeks, all of our plans have been scuttled. None of us saw it coming. Tomorrow is very different than what we may have expected today. And that's not just true about recent history. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. It's only one person who knows what tomorrow brings, and that's God. God does not offer us a blueprint. He does not offer us an agenda for tomorrow. What he offers us is hope. The hope is that God's tomorrow will be better than any yesterday you've ever known. Today, I want us to look at that hope. Some things that we can expect from God's tomorrow, and they are found in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25. If you'll follow along with me, beginning in verse 18, this is the word of our God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we hear what your spirit speaks to us this morning. May we allow your word to move us to love you more to serve you better. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lucy and Linus are watching TV, and Lucy turns to her little brother Linus and says, go get me a glass of water. And Linus says, why should I do that? What have you ever done for me? You never do anything for me. And Lucy says, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. So as Linus goes and travels to the kitchen to get the water, he says, life is much more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. And that's true, isn't it? The joy of hope is that we have something to look forward to. But exactly what do we have to look forward to? What exactly is our hope? If we can't know the future, what can we look forward to tomorrow? Paul gives us three answers to that question. First of all, he says our hope is for redemption. Our hope is for redemption. This world is a beautiful place. 
It's a magnificent place full of blooms and clouds and sunshine, majestic mountains and mighty oceans, the beauty of a bride and the smile of a baby. But this world is not only beautiful, it's broken. You can see that in the wreckage left behind by a tornado, the pain of sickness and death, violence against the innocent. The more we try to heal this brokenness, the more we realize that the job's too big for us. Deep inside, though, we all long for this beautiful, broken world to be restored. And what we long for is redemption. Verse 20, Paul writes, For the creation was subjected to futility, emptiness, vain, uh, vainglory, unable to reach its proper conclusion. Subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now that verse sends us back to Genesis to the Garden of Eden where Adam stands guilty before God for his rebellion. His sin sends ripples throughout all of creation. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, the Bible says, God said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. This is the reason why, the, why this world is broken. Now you might say, preacher, why, why did God not just punish Adam? Why? Why is the whole world cursed? Well, because there is an inseparable link between Adam and the rest of creation. Think about it this way. Think of a father who is convicted of a crime, sentenced, sent off to prison. Justice demands that he be punished. That's only right. But what about his wife and kids? They also suffer. You can't separate the connection between the two. Every one of us is connected to Adam. And so we suffer the effects of his disobedience. And yet, in spite of the brokenness, God offers us the hope of redemption. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God has not given up on his broken creation. He has a plan, a plan to redeem everything. This redemption, this healing begins in us. Look in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The healing of the brokenness in the world begins with the healing of our brokenness. Our redemption is what the gospel is all about. Whenever you see that word redeem in the Bible, it means simply to buy back. In the ancient world, it describes slaves. Their freedom was purchased by a family member. They bought them as a slave, and then they set them free. Redemption always requires a price, a price to be paid. And Jesus brought all those ideas together. In John chapter 8, verse 34 through 36, 
He says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Whoever there is you and I. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son, the son, makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You see, behind all of our brokenness, behind everything that's wrong with us and everything wrong with this world is sin. Sin is a master that has us in its clutches, has us in chains, and refuses to set us free. God sent his son to pay the price, to redeem us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, 19 says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That redemption is accomplished by Christ on the cross, but you have to receive it. And as you receive it, the more and more people receive that redemption. Here's where the here's where God's tomorrow of redemption begins. Verse 23 says not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. Right now, we can be redeemed in our souls, but there is coming a day when we'll be redeemed in our bodies. We'll have a body that never grieves, a body that never hurts, a body that never gets sick or dies, a body that will live forever. We will live in a world that is not broken anymore. It is healed. All of creation, not just us, but all of creation longs for that day. Verse 19 says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Our hope, God's tomorrow, has a date. It's a date on his calendar. A day when all the brokenness will be healed. And that is the reason why Paul can say in verse 18, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There will come a day when all of us who have redeemed, been redeemed will look back. We'll look back at our worst pain. We'll look back at our deepest grief. We'll look back on days of frustration and weariness and tears. And we'll look back and say, it was worth it all. Remember the old hymn? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Do you have that hope? Only if Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. His redemption is your only hope for healing. Healing your mind, healing your heart, healing, healing your soul. Healing this world, healing your world. Have you been redeemed? Well, here's something else I want you to understand. Our hope is not seen, and yet it is certain. Not seen, but it is certain. Tomorrow often disappoints us. You paid for the package to get here next day air, and you get up, and the mailbox stays empty all day. You wait for that important call. I'll call you back. I'll call you and let you know. Phone stays silent. I promise you I'll have the money for you tomorrow. 
but they don't show up. Sometimes, if you're not careful, you're tempted to almost afraid to be hope or, or afraid to hope. We're afraid we'll be disappointed again. Because you see, hope involves some level of trust, some level of faith. Which is why Paul writes in verse 24, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? You don't hope for something that you expect to happen, something that you're sure to happen. You don't hope that the sun rises tomorrow. You expect the sun to rise tomorrow. This verse describes another kind of hope. It is a personal hope, and it's based on a personal problem. Excuse me, it's based on a personal promise. You may not put much stock in the guarantees of a stranger. It's a different dynamic when that promise is made by someone who loves you. Houston pastor John Bisango recalls a time when his daughter, five-year-old Melody Jan, comes and asks him, Daddy, please put together my dollhouse. I want to put all my dolls in the dollhouse. Would you please put the, the dollhouse together so I can do that? And John's reading a book, and he just kind of absentmindedly says, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it later. As he's reading his book, suddenly he notices something outside. He sees his daughter walking back and forth in front of the window, piling up playthings in the yard. So he asked his wife, said, honey, what is Melody Jan doing? She said, oh, you promised to build her a dollhouse, and she believes you. She's just getting ready for it. John says, you would have thought I'd been hit by an atom bomb. I tossed aside that book. I raced outside, and I quickly built my little girl her dollhouse because her daddy had given his word. She believed it, acted on it. When I saw her faith, nothing could keep me from doing what I promised. Now, if that's how an earthly father keeps his promise to his daughter, think about a father who loves you even more. A father who promises you redemption, redemption of your body, redemption of your soul. Promises to redeem the world, to make it the paradise he originally intended it to be. How can you be sure of what you cannot see? Because the father who loves you always keeps his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Our hope is unseen, but our hope is also certain. One more truth I want you to get hold of. Our hope empowers us to endure. During the Civil War, General Sherman's on his march to the sea leaves behind a small contingent of men at the top of Kennesaw Mountain. After General Sherman has left, General John Bell Hood of the Confederate Army leads an attack on the fort. During that battle, one-third of the men are killed or wounded. The general in command is severely injured. They don't see how they can win this fight. They're just about ready to raise the white flag, and a, a messenger makes it through. And the messenger says General Sherman is within 15 miles and his message is very simple. Hold fast. We are coming. That was enough to keep the soldiers fighting until the battle was won. Hope helps you hang on a little longer. 
Verse 25 says, we hope for what we do not see. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Perseverance. None of us have a crystal ball to see into the future. We see dark clouds on the horizon. We see enemies that are too strong to fight. You get discouraged. You get wounded. You wonder if maybe it's time to raise the white flag. Then you need to listen to the message from your commander. Hold fast. I am coming. With hopeful hearts, with hopeful hearts, we eagerly wait for it, for our redemption, with perseverance. We trust in the power and presence of our Lord to turn the tide and to give us victory. Jonathan Edwards once said, our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never really be lost. And the best things are yet to come. I once heard someone say that people can't live without hope. But that's not true. There are a lot of people who walk this world without hope. They live day to day and they never hope that things will get any better. They never hope that they will get any better. They just try to outwit death long enough or as long as possible. That's not how God intends for you to live. He sent his son to give you the hope of redemption. The joy of knowing that you are forgiven and free. The promise that one day you'll live in a world that has been healed. Hope that you cannot see with your eyes. You see it by faith and yet you are certain because it is the father who loves you who gives you that hope. And through that hope in God's tomorrow, you can make it no matter what. Because without God, we have only a hopeless end. But with God, we have an endless hope. Do you have that endless hope? Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we praise you for speaking to us today. I want to ask you to continue to resonate these words in our hearts. I ask you to bring them back to our remembrance in our times of need. And we welcome you to do your work with us through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for your prayers during these trying times. I want to encourage you to pray for one another, for each other. Call one another. Find ways to encourage one another. Send cards, send letters. Any way you can to encourage your brothers and sisters. And let's look forward to the day that we can once again worship our God and Savior together. I want to invite you to come back and join us tonight for our evening service at 6. If you need anything, please call the church office or call me at 256-702-4899. God bless.